Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Hello, listeners. I want to invite you back to a really special episode today. And I have Annie back today, and she was on a couple episodes ago. And there was some pain that emerged out of that interview, and there was some harm caused to Annie. And I'm here today because I think it's really important. We started off talking about how Annie's work is working in the school system and modeling how we do a restorative process when harm has been done. And I think that it would be really beautiful to go ahead and record this and allow Annie to take me through this process so that both I can open up to my own blind spots that happened in this encounter and learn and hopefully integrate this and be able to take this into my future teachings, as well as model for everyone the opportunities that are there and give you the opportunity to reach out to Annie to learn more if this is something that's landing with you deeply. So I'm not going to talk anymore right now. I'm actually handing this interview and this process over to Annie because I haven't been through it before, and I really want to experience it firsthand, and I hope that this helps everyone else. So I'm going to go ahead and hand this to Annie, and thank you for listening and being here in what for me feels like a really tender and vulnerable moment, and I have so much gratitude that we get to do this together and that Annie's heart is so open and willing. So thank you, Annie. Mm -hmm. You're welcome, Kara. Um, yeah, I am here as someone who uh, life's a lifetime of avoiding conflict, um, very fearful of conflict. And through the trauma that I experienced, having lost my kind of agency, my no. And so what is common for folks who've been through trauma is that they have lost that no, and they will do what they need to do um, in the moment to navigate the way that is least susceptible to being harmed. And so what the pause after the interview gave me was a chance to look at how I reflect on how I felt during it and the and the manner in which it was posted and reached out to Kara and she was very respectful and open to a conversation about it, which I was very grateful for. So one of the reasons I was grateful for it is because I have my own history around causing harm in, in a fairly similar way. I'm not going to say I know you, Kara, um, and in this particular experience, but I'm imagining that I've harmed a lot of people in my past or cross boundaries in a similar way. And the way that I knew that was because I had, a, I have and had a ton of energy and, in, and a very sharp intellect, a lot of charm. And I loved to hear people's stories. And I interviewed people and I was really good at it. And I could basically tell, I could create a space in which people would tell me anything. And I thought it was amazing. And they would often cry. And one day someone said to me, Annie, do you know you leave emotional landmines around? And I was like, what? I was 34. This is over 20, 25, 23 years ago. And he said, um, well, you you create a space, people share with you, they think they've found their new best friend, and then they never see you again because they have never shared anything like they share with you. And to you, it's just what it's like breathing. It's what you do. You just share and you're open and you're courageous, and you expect that just because you create that space and someone has shared that they've actually given you consent to do so. And I, I, this has been a lifelong exploration ever since to kind of understand just because someone is sharing something with you does not mean that they are actually consenting to it. It's very strange. It's, I mean, I think a lot of it's similar to the way we are, um, we, we experience a lot of that 
consensual conversations around sexuality and what does consent actually uh, consist of. So fast forward, <laughs> I have been very, very conscious of attuning to the my own power to create that space and the power of the questions I ask and then noting my own experience of, oh, I have to pause all the time to check in with myself and what my actual agenda is. And this was displayed very clearly. I, I run, I ran, I've been running circles, holding circle retreats. And there was one day um, when I was pretty tired. I wasn't very present. I was holding a circle and no one cried. No one even teared up. And I was like, oh, it was a failure. No one cried. <laughs> and then I went, oh, wow. Oh, so that's my definition of success. That was really revealing to me that my goal was to create a space in which people would cry and that that was my notion of success. That felt really dangerous to me. And so I really checked myself and started to work more and more in consent and also agreement making. So that's where I begin this process is just a little backstory that I am not um, innocent in this particular realm um, that I'm going to speak to it when it's my turn to speak. I think it's really important to speak to as a culture, which ever since, what was it? Jerry Springer show, <laughs> you know, there has been a, there is a lot of revealing going on. And I think it is a really, really helpful conversation to be having about what we do with that, how we, how we hold it um, and what kind of agreements we make uh, before and after it. So restorative conference uh, involves a third party whose objective, whom we do not have today, but because of some conversations that Kara and I have had before this through Messenger on Facebook, um, I think we're both feeling fairly safe that harm is not going to further harm is not going to explode on this screen right now, which is what we want to make sure before a conference. So just for folks out there, you never just call a restorative conference um, like we're about to do without pre-work. And pre-work should happen with a third party who's going to go through this, all the questions with you make sure that person can take responsibility and not just like go bonkers during it and cause more harm. Secondly, um, the whole process is meant to support the needs of the person harmed. And, and that might mean they're not even there and they actually write their answers down on paper and have the facilitator read them um, so that there's absolutely no chance of harm. And that's still really, really powerful and really helpful. Third thing I'll say is if you've been harmed and you can never talk to the person who harmed you, I would write the answers to these questions down anyways and go through it with a friend and just speak them out loud. Very, very powerful to speak your answers out loud when you've been harmed, especially if you've had trauma and you can have a, you have a hard time doing that. So those are three different things I wanted to name. And so finally, just like uh, with you, Kara, the agreements for today, <laughs> obviously, if we choose to publish this, this recording, there's going to be lots of people listening to it. But I would just, my, one of my things I'm going to ask is that we get that consent, like I review it, and we agree to sharing it with the world. And in particular, the description of the of the podcast. Is, is that okay with you? Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. Um, second agreement we make is when, you know, until we don't have a talking piece here with us because we're on Zoom. But um, when, when each of us is done talking, we would say, I'm done, or pass it to you, Kara. Um, and that when it's your space, it's your time, take as many pauses as you want. Empty space is good. And you are not finished until you say so. All right. And then you can always pass. So the whole process is voluntary at any point. I can call it quits. You can call it quits. Our responsibility is to ourselves, because if we are not taking care of ourselves, then we're not going to show up well for this process. So facilitator was here, they'd be noticing our body language, um, our speech, and would be calling a break if they saw any tendency of one person or the other to kind of fall off into some kind of amygdala land, which would shut off their neocortex and make the conversation harmful. So can we agree to take care of ourselves and take responsibility for that in this? Yeah. Yes, thank you. Cool. All right. So the first question is what happened in the restorative questions. And that goes to the person who's actually done the harm first in, in, in many, many cases. So Kara, do you want to, and this is just the facts. Um, yeah. No interpretation, just 
what you think happened. Sure. What I think happened is that we met through a Facebook commentary stream and there were uh, an agreement made to uh, do a podcast interview and we set that up for the next day and we started speaking and in my um, attempt to get to know you, I started asking some questions that were pretty direct and I think that I got a little tied up in my own curiosity and my own excitement and that I lost track of you and where you are. And it also seemed like the conversation started going really quickly. And at the end, I remember checking in and asking how it was and offering to share the link with you after I uploaded it, uh, which I did, and um, said, yeah, if there's any issues, let me know. Uh, didn't hear anything, but also did not check back to make sure that you had received the link and that you had heard the episode. And then when I posted it on Facebook to engage people who I felt may want to hear the conversation, I referenced your vulnerability and your trauma and the comments around sexuality. And my um, what I'm sitting with is also realizing that there was some glibness to it that was really not appropriate is where I'm sitting with in this space that's talking about trauma. And that the whole thing I think was held a little bit too lightly and there was also a promotional element to it because I have been pulling together a lot of content that's been spurred by the conversations I've had with Frederick and others. And there was this piece of wanting this conversation to be heard by people that want to have more conversations in this space, but not necessarily around trauma or the acknowledgement of how painful some of this can be but rather just this overly exuberant dive into areas that I don't have direct experience with the pain of. So, you know, what I've been sitting with is just how much I so, regret. So I'm going to. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to hold the role of facilitator. Yeah. Just because you've invited me in for that. Thank you. So you're moving away from the, just the facts and going into uh, how you're feeling you. and thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So then the facts would just be that I posted something that caused harm to you. Should I just stop there? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Was that interruption okay? Just because of we're kind of demonstrating Yeah, absolutely. This? I need okay. interruptions. I okay. like them because I'm trying to follow up process, but it's also really easy for me to drift into story. So thank you. You're welcome. Great. Well, thank you for the what happened. Um, yeah. So same. We were on Facebook. Two, two folks in my class um, had been interviewed you already. So when you asked me to be on the podcast, I felt like that was, um, you know, enough. That's all I needed to know that um, those two folks had, had agreed and had gone away from it um, feeling good. And the conversation was about something I was really interested in, which is was agency. Um, I think there was something else I was looking for the post, but I couldn't find it. Um, so I was looking forward to it and I during the interview I was a bit uh kind of shocked not shocked but um uh put you asked about the trauma um told the story and then the the sex the, the the taking on the the thread of the sexual agency uh, applying agency to this the world of sexuality wasn't where I thought it would go and then it just the conversation seemed to become less about what I was bringing and more about what you were experiencing and thinking in your life. And, um, and I was like, well, this is what I do. I thought, well, here I am going. So I'm doing the same thing. So then got off the call and went to the, um, didn't see an email from you. So I didn't think you were sharing a link with me. Um, what happens? I have a get a hundred updates a day from documents that are that are um, edited 
of mine in the world. And uh, so it was buried in there somewhere, just the link share. Um, but then I saw posted it in uh, in my community, a very dear community of mine, um, Enneagram Community of Practice, which is kind of a closely managed closed group where I can be vulnerable. And um, yeah, the words to describe that posting um, for you know, many moments of trauma. I think it was the many moments it just, it was glib. It felt glib. It felt, um, I did not know you're going to post it in that group. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I'd given consent yet to publish it. So I thought you were going to add, I thought you were going to share the link with me and you had, and then list reading the, the description on the, on the podcast. Um, we're talking about sex again, as the first line was like, we are, I, wow, I didn't know that's what we were talking about. So um, it did feel self-promoting and it felt hard. So that's why uh, I'm here. Yeah. So, so now is the time, what were you thinking or feeling at the time? You, you've already shared a bunch of that, but anything you want to add in particular yeah, about you know, um, when you I, heard about the impact? Well, when I heard about, there's two things, what I was thinking and feeling at the time that I posted it is different than what I was thinking and feeling when I heard about the impact. Which one do you want to hear about first? Up to you. Okay. Um, I tend to go chronologically. So mm -hmm. when I've posted, um, you know, this is my 42nd episode and I don't really know what the episodes are going to be about before I start talking to the person because I don't really know them. I know them through Facebook comments and the conversations that I have leading up to that episode sort of put my mind in a certain frame. And I had just had these two episodes with Frederick Cunha around sex and the Enneagram and like these um, conversations. And then I've been interviewing Stephanie, whose episode we'll be posting after these on, uh, she's just, she's a sexologist. So from my frame, the universe kept throwing me people that were leading us into this realm of sexuality which as a sexual blind individual, I'm very curious about because I'm learning things that I haven't seen for a long time. And yeah, I think that what was happening, like what well, the thoughts were that this is where we're going, but I was approaching it in a way that in my mind is academic and I really got disconnected from the feeling of it. Like the heart of these are real people with real stories and there's a lot of tenderness here. And I, and I know that that's because I also disconnect from my own heart when I talk about my own things that are painful around this. So that is a piece that I want to keep remembering that, yeah, it's just so easy for me to, this is such a point three thing of shutting down the heart and talking about topics that are so exquisitely tender without the heart online and because I'm so used to that. So when I was posting it, I, I was posting from a very academic intellectual frame without my heart online. That's what was happening for me as I replay it. And then when I heard about the impact, there was absolutely for me a moment of shock and i stopped breathing and there was just this oh fuck i did it again where i enter into a space without the heart being online and in those moments it's like my heart breaks open and there's just so much sadness over the fact that this is one of my blind spots and there are so many times when looking at a situation objectively, like if a patient is coding in the hospital and I have to be really objective and the heart takes a side seat because it's a life or death thing, that this capacity has served me. But if I want to move into this realm of interviewing people, of talking about trauma, of talking about sexuality, the heart-centered aspect of it needs to be honored and checked in on a lot more than I'm inherently wired to do. This really um, 
my heart was breaking because I was facing my own tendency to do the habitual shut down the heart and just view this from an operational, logical, this is what's happening kind of way without an acknowledgement of the feeling person who shared this story and all the listeners and everything that will be opened when we talk about these topics. So when I heard about the impact, there was just intense pain and shame and also a deep longing to say like, yeah, how can I learn from this? How can I hold this person? Because there was this outpouring of care and this really deep longing for you to have a restorative experience around this because it became acutely, it, it, it was, it was just like, you know, that Britney Spears song, oops, I did it again, which once again, now I'm worried sounds glib, but it's just this thing where the heart can go offline for me so easily because that's the structure and that's how I experience it. And so how to be in the space with that is what I really want to keep learning and why I was so grateful that you were open to having this conversation. And I feel complete. Hmm. Um, so at the time I felt in the conversation, I actually, I felt really annoyed that I felt a little used that everything I said, there was something in it that seemed to serve that you, you would then use. And that's it, part of conversation for sure to kind of lift off of somebody else's words. But when it comes to trauma and, and sharing, it, it's actually not okay. It's kind of like in the circle, we say, you know, speak from your own experience without interpreting the last person's like, like Mary, I also have was left from my mother like that in a circle is not okay. So there were there were a few times when you interpreted my experience through your frame. And, and then went on to like expand on it. So it was not only just kind of claiming or kind of hijacking my sharing, but it was then building on it around your own experience. And it's not horrible. So I wasn't hurt. I just wanting wanting it to end. I wanted to leave the conversation and I probably should have. What's interesting to me, what I was also thinking and feeling at the time was I'm all I'm always in the in the who what the hell is my type? I think folks who have complex trauma really struggle to land because they had to use so many different strategies. That's my theory anyways. But I, I, I heard myself fawning um, almost the more I got kind of feeling uncomfortable and feeling boundaries crossing, the more I started to fawn. I was I giggled and I also complimented you a lot, which was really uh, instructive to me. So how I do that it, with someone who I think has power and this is all subconscious, of course. And then at the end, I, I, I kind of <laughs> I. Uh, I pulled together a little agency and a little courage. You wrapped up the interview with also kind of interpreting something. And and I and I said, wait a second, I haven't answered that question yet. And I like, I uh I tried to answer it from my own voice. So I tried to like wrangle it back. And I felt like I was trying to wrangle it back to what the original ask was the whole time and felt a little kind of, I don't know, just felt hostage a little bit by by what I was part of, which is, which is, you know, frustrating for me in my, my healing journey for sure. Like, so I'm grateful for it because it really, really demonstrated after all this healing work, I'm still not in the moment saying, Whoa, check, hold on, pause. <laughs> this is not feeling good. What's happening here. I didn't do it. I didn't interrupt you. I didn't, I was a good girl, you know? And so that's a huge reason why I'm here to just kind of celebrate that I'm here now and I'm speaking my truth now. So for all those who, who's, who lost their no, um, that's what this process gives you is because of the structure, um, you can actually practice speaking your truth. When I saw it, I wasn't, because I've spoken about my trauma, I've been through years of EMDR, 
it's discharged. The energy of it is discharged. I didn't cry. Um, when I saw the the description and the post and the glibness, I just thought that's not really ethical. That's not good. I was just really kind of judgmental and just feeling like she should know better. That's terrible. Like if you're going to interview people who have, who are experiencing trauma and sharing trauma, like up your game. That's like sister. <laughs> like that was my, my, my experience was like, no, go, go take a, a course and, and have a checklist. Like if it's about ethics, you know, have I had heard consent from the person? Do I know that they saw the link? Do I have consent? Have they reviewed this? All those things. If you want to not do, oops, here it goes again. That was like, my sense was what, what? She's a good person. You know, I know you to be a good person. You got a good heart, you know, I feel it in the interview. That's why I'm here. So the feelings were of, I have a responsibility. I think, I think I have a responsibility to say, this is not really ethical to do this from all my trauma training that I have. And and I also recognize, and I wasn't upset, upset. Like you said, pain, I'm not in pain. I'm just a person who's feeling a little bit used and and not intentionally so. Like none of this is intentional. Like I totally get that. But it's um, well careless for someone in your position. You have a lot of power. That's a question. I'm, I have a lot of power. How am I using it? Not so great in that moment especially within my community there. So um, I guess that's how I felt. Um, I also wondered, like, is it my job to give feedback? I got a lot going on and I'm leaving tomorrow. I've got my own issues, but I ha- I feel a great responsibility to this topic and love, love, love to publicize restorative conversations that we can do this. We can do this. Because if we can't do this as two white women, how the hell are we going to like name racism when we see it? How are we going to have the voice to have a restorative conversation when we cause racial harm and someone approaches us about that? How do we navigate that if we ha- can't even, you know, navigate this pain between us? So for me, it's I'm here to exercise what I need to exercise in a much grander scale um, in the anti-racist journey. Um, yeah, anyway, so, okay, so that's complete for me. So the next question is, um, is there anything you've been feeling or thinking since then that you want to add? I think we've mm-hmm. both given a lot of, of yeah. time to that already. Well, and it's emerging for me now. Can I speak about like my experience now or is there, should I rewind? Yep. Well, just to pause and make and, uh, and check around whether or not you're responding to what I'm saying or speaking to what I'm saying. Mine, mine stands complete. Yeah. This is your, this is your truth, your experience. Yeah. Well, please. um, I know you're not supposed to coach me because you're the harmed person, but I've given you permission to interrupt (laughs) and or coach. Like if I'm going astray, you know, but Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I understand the process and what, what's happening for me right now. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is landing really, really deeply in my heart. And there is this like regret, you know, I mean, it's not shame. It's just like deep regret that, mm, that I missed so many things. Do you know what I mean? That like, yeah, like your, you know, your annoyance during the podcast episode, I absolutely can see how quickly my mind is working when I'm running an interview and framing and creating a production on some level. So I want to, you know, I'm just noticing that that part is true and I'm recognizing how important it is to just slow it all down for me and to really do more check-ins, get more consent. Like this is just such a great example to me of where my point three structure glosses over details and makes assumptions and just keeps moving forward because I do have an agenda and that does rise up for me. And it is so easy to dismiss things that might slow down my process. And I'm just really taking in how much harm is done in those moments when I do get wrapped up in that. And yeah, I just love how you said, like, 
you should know better and like level up. And like, I have a lot of gratitude for that because I, I have that voice inside of my head. And that voice has been saying that since the impact was revealed to me and it really started to sink in. And I deeply, deeply want that. You know, I have had some trainings in trauma coaching and therapy, but clearly not enough and or not enough practice. And for me, I do feel like I'm at this phase where I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of passive absorbing of content. But this is where I know I meet my edge and I just have this really, really intense experience of it right now of this is so important for me to level up. This is so important for me to hear. And this is the type of feedback that I really want to keep getting because I do deeply care and I want to still be able to have these conversations, but I just want to make sure that I don't become a part of the problem and I will activate people, but the ability to really take that in and to try to understand and to try to integrate that and to try to allow it to turn my heart in a way that the next time I'm interviewing somebody or having a conversation that I don't have explicit consent for and that I may not be holding with the importance and the care that I should. I mean, it's deeply uncomfortable. And I think that's good because this is how I remember. Like, this is how I will remember or have a higher chance of remembering the next time I'm in this situation. Because what's going on in my heart right now feels like gross and slimy. And while I know that I really do want to create good with this work that I'm doing. There's this personality of mine that you started the episode by saying that it's charming and it's a little slick. And I want to be really careful about that because it does create a type of power that I don't think I fully appreciate it because it's just the water I swim in. And it's just another example of slowing down, breathing, and checking that because I think that so many of us don't realize where we are in the seat of power because there's so many moments that I don't feel powerful. And when I'm interviewing people, I'm really interviewing people that I have so much respect for and that I sort of feel like I'm coming in as a student and wanting to learn. And I think I have to really sit with the fact that this is a power position, that when I am the interviewer, when I have made the invitation, when I am guiding the conversation, and when I know that my personality has these skills like you referenced in the beginning, that you can kind of get people to share and go places that they haven't gone before. I just really appreciate, I think you used the word an emotional mom or landmine or something. Landmine. Landmine. Yeah. And I really do. I mean, I have stayed connected with so many I've interviewed through this podcast and that actually feels like one of the greatest gifts. So it just feels important to me to say that I feel deeply connected to any and all of you and that I really want to continue to welcome this feedback. And this has been super uncomfortable, but also tender and real. So I'm landing in this place of uncomfortable gratitude. Like, thank you for this medicine, which feels so terrible to swallow in the moment, but is also really important. And I really want to just stay in this space where. I'm really hearing and holding and feeling the experience that you had with it. And it really matters to me. I'm complete. Well, right now I'm feeling, um, well, since uh, the question is, what have you been thinking or feeling since? I have felt remarkably clear and that feels good. Um, I don't feel necessarily right, but I feel clear about what is right for me and 
I think about the power of disruption and discomfort in our small interactions that have the impact of replicating to the large. So I think I think a lot about this interaction and I have, you know, this really crazy day before I leave for three weeks. And yet this, I thought, I believe the, the large is a replication of the small. And if I can come back to this conversation and sit in discomfort publicly, that it would be of, of, of use especially in the world of podcasts and especially in the world of the Enneagram. So what needs to happen? That's the next question. Oh, actually the, the, the next question is for me. Um, what's been the hardest thing? So the hardest thing for me, well, I guess just trusting myself um, enough to come back to this. And I'm really grateful to all the <laughs> to my therapist <laughs> tell you the truth i didn't talk to her about it but just the work we've done about feeling into what is right what it like ethically right what is what is beneficial to the whole versus what is just beneficial to me and that really guides me a lot so i guess the hardest thing has just been the time it's taking to tell you the truth i've thought about it a bit but just conversations and this time right now um i can't don't really have a lot of time so that's the hardest thing <laughs> it's not a big deal in terms of the like emotional harm it's more about navigating my responsibility in it but here i am so that's a good thing um next one is what what needs to happen and you can start with that yeah what needs to happen to make things right to make things right with you in this context is that specifically what you're asking what i what i think needs to happen between you and i you know we took down the post and i made the edits that you requested to honor what what basically was more aligned with the integrity of the conversation is what i feel like a piece of it was and what needs to happen I mean, I was deeply resonating with what you were saying about, is this conversation serving the greater whole? Like, I mean, that to me feels really important that we're doing our best to model how do restorative conversations happen when something doesn't go the way that, you know, I was hoping, like it didn't have the result that I was wanting, which was to be an additive thing, not something that re-traumatized or made somebody feel used or, I mean, the, these things are all not what I want at all. So I think like what needs to happen is, I mean, I guess nothing needs to happen. I'm just really open to any requests, further ongoing requests you have, and you've already named that. It just feels really important that in the future, I really take this in and slow down and get more consent and do more check-ins with anybody that I'm talking about trauma with specifically. But I feel complete around what do I think needs to happen. And I'm just really curious and wanting to hear anything else that you think needs to happen. So, yeah, I think you've done, done a couple of the things. Um, and those are really just about integrity, honesty to so honesty. and in the blurb trying to be a little more true to what the exchange was actually about. Um, we're talking about sex again is not, wasn't really accurate. That's important to me and taking it down from the community of practice was important to me. And then I think the last, the sec <laughs> the last thing I, I, I need really is to have an opportunity now. And this is often part of a process is the learning piece. And so the panel might ask that the the person goes to some class or does this or does that. And uh, I'm just going to ask that, that I get to speak to what I think needs to be learned right now. Thank you. Would that be okay with you? Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, the first thing is the two feet, one breath. 
which I mentioned in my messaging. So for anyone, and for you, Kara, when we put our two feet on the ground and take a breath in, put a hand to our heart and bring some kindness to ourselves and also check in where are we in this conversation. And we exhale and we let go of what we think we're doing, our agenda. Then so much harm is is avoided. Because if we check in and we feel a sense of power, quote unquote power, we are in personality, 100%. If we feel that surge, the charge, the or the glee, you know, a nine stubbornness, <laughs> you know, or the <laughs> or the, the sevens, we ebullience, you know, we're we're in our power, we're creating a situation in which we are getting what we need. It's like we're licking our chops. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a very specific kind of somatic sense in our bodies when our personalities are in charge and we are getting what we want. It just takes a tremendous amount of of practice. And I know that that all of us in this work, I hope, are part of this practice, which is that check-in. Where are we? And it and I would say even preface, you know, request a preface your interviews with, I'm going to take a couple pauses to check where I'm at. And there might be a few seconds of silence as I feel and in, into my body. Where, you know, what kind of power am I? How am I using my power? Because our real power is in our presence. And that often it sounds pretty clunky because we're not used to it. It's very vulnerable. So not we can't be there all the time, but especially when we ask, you know, we get a big reaction from somebody, either good or bad, or or uh, things are speeding up. So that's number one is the two feet, one breath process of checking in um, with our experience of power. And then number two, just all the 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 seriously the checklist like the ethical checklist around trauma-informed podcasting. You know, uh, I'm here because you're not, you know, you named this podcast Blind Spot. So this huge part of why I'm here right now is because by naming it that, you're saying, I want to know about blind spots. And mine, not understanding that my deep sharing of my own stuff um, when I was younger was a way of actually controlling people was my huge blind spot. And so this opportunity to kind of explore mine, mine continue, it's always continue, we're never totally aware, but of looking at yours to invite more of those situations is what you're doing. And you put the intention out there by writing that, naming this as a blind spot. But so, so the second request is just being more explicit about the feedback that you're, you want to get. And one of the things I, I do in my, um, in all my trainings and, that I'm not requiring this, but it was, it's been awesome is offering um, an anonymous Google survey or some survey. And the questions are very, there's like three. And one of them for me is how have I used my power, my position, anything to, to uh, make you feel marginalized, insulted. And a lot of that, like I can't control, like the other day I used the word gypped. It's a derogatory, you know, it's, it's a form of the derogatory term gypsy. Uh, which is to be cheated. Gypsies are cheaters, right? They're liars or, you know, that stereotype. And they just named it in this survey. And I was so grateful. Like I didn't, I didn't make that connection. So you learn a lot just kind of intellectually, but you also get to hear things that people are too frightened to hear and um, uh, to say to your face. And it sure does build your capacity for like taking feedback, but it's also really rich. If you really want to know your blind spots, like, whoo, uh, it's a good one. <laughs> so like just looking at the ways in which you elicit feedback, um, just asking for feedback is not enough. Just like not asking me to write to you if I'm not comfortable was not enough. Um, how do you make sure that you're closing that loop and getting the, what we call, um, you know, street data? I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's called Street Data. It's all about what is actually happening on the street in your particular realm how do you hear the voices that don't get heard and so you've done a really great job of inviting me into this conversation and that's fantastic how do you invite other voices um, even if they don't want to come back on so that's i think given your intention in the world i think a kind of anonymous way of of pulling 
your, I don't know, maybe it would be after a quarter, you pull all the people, the 10 people you interviewed or whatever at once. So they're not, they know they're not identified because you, you know, I'll just say you have got some great, of course you have amazing skills, got a great, great brain. And uh, to see you really lean into that really, really hard would be awesome to see and to model in this particular realm of, uh, of the world. Yeah. So let's see anything else. Oh, the checklist. Yeah. All those things, because you're, you know, you're, you're very effective at this craft. And so focus that effectiveness on caring for the person in your space with those check-ins. And you might even have a little, a little uh, vibration alarm next to you every five minutes in an interview. How do you remind yourself to slow down? So don't leave it to your intention. That's my request. Those are my requests. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. It really feels like I can take those in. Um, yeah. I'm going to create that Google document and I'm going to send it out to the 40 other people that I've interviewed at this point and already have seen reviews are a good way to get feedback because mm -hmm. those are anonymous and yeah i've had some people name the self-absorption the interruption these are the ways that i know that i am not caring for my person that i'm interviewing and that listeners are picking up on that so i've been working on incorporating these things and this is it feels like a shock point for me like just something that Getting this direct feedback and going through this process feels really important for my learning. And I'm going to listen to this episode when I edit it with my notepad and coming up with that checklist and some of these policies and procedures. And, and I know this about myself already, but I haven't had that turning of the heart where I've actually taken action on it. And I've done some of Andrea Isaac's emotional Enneagram work and I am low on point one, like I don't dot those I's and cross those T's and, you know, really hold like there's, there's a way that you can give lip service to integrity. And then there's a way that you back it up with actions that actually allow integrity to mean something. So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what I'm taking away from this is just really, really seeing that low point one energy. Um, and even with my interview with Fleming Christian, I, were talk I was talking about how one is my blind type. He's written this book, Do You Know Your Blind Type? Hmm. And this is just yet another example of how one is my blind type. Hmm. And I want to really take that in. And yeah, and how I work with it, it's going to be so interesting for me because, you know, I can put the same egoic point three striving energy around like, I'm going to make sure that I do all of these things and almost make it a, like a forced thing. But I really want it to come from this place of deeper care and deeper longing. And I'm just naming, not because it's an excuse, but with going back to work as a physician the last six weeks and trying to maintain this, I have lost presence. There is a certain freneticism that has come mm -hmm. back into my life. There's a certain pacing and a certain level of anxiety. And I'm just naming that I'm also about to go um, off for about three weeks of mm -hmm. trainings and vacation with my kids. And when I come back, I've known even before this interview that I need to change some things because I fell way too many back into per habits of personality the last six weeks. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of um, mourning around that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, this renewal and my commitment to doing my own practice, trying to stay conscious of my own blind type and bringing back in more of what I know I need to do. And I think that your suggestions are really meaningful. And I just, yeah, I mean, so much gratitude, even some tears. So thank you. Mm. You're welcome. Yeah, I think structure. Uh, I'm way. I'm very much against uh, hammering ourselves into shape. You know, yeah. John o John O'Donoghue talks about about that spiritual programs go to improve ourselves, of course. And yet, 
there are some real like put our big girl panties on and and the discipline and the work um the preparation that that I really ascribe to which is it's a really interesting thing to explore like how do we not hammer ourselves how do we how do we stay in presence with our unfolding at the same time you know use the ethic the ethics and the the kind of the structure of of integrity to hold our path i think that comes through critical friends yeah um like like i mentioned through critical friends and through some meaningful structures that you can rely on when you are tired um so i just want to make that distinction for those folks listening that i'm not condoning an improvement plan it's more like I, I do get a little weary of folks, you know, in the spiritual world, world who are like beautiful on the cushion and they have all these wonderful intentions. But when it comes to living in the world, they're not actually rolling up their sleeves and actually changing some of the structures in their lives that perpetuate the harm that they do. So I really appreciate you, right? Um, you know, acknowledging that piece and making those changes. It's beautiful to hear. Yeah. Well, thank you, Annie. I know that we're both about to head off on some <laughs> travels and have very busy days in front of us. But the fact that we took the time today to take this hour and do this process in the midst of a moment where I don't think most other people would have. I just am really celebrating the deep commitment that I see in you to this work. It's been so powerful for me. And is there anything else you'd like to say before we close today? Um, just that I am I am really grateful that you wanted to join in this. I was nervous about how here it here it comes, like how it would be used, you know. But the fact that the, the platform exists to to demonstrate this, um, it feels like it feels like you are really really present to it and really open to it. And I I feel good about it. So thank you, Kara. Mm. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm celebrating that. I'm sure I will screw up and harm people in the future. So yeah, I'll have more opportunities go. to do Me restorative too. conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. Annie, we can even bring you on to facilitate one the next time I screw up. So oh, sure. stay tuned listeners. It. The next time I walk <laughs> right into one of your trauma bubbles and are completely oblivious to what's happening, like let us know. This is important. I mm -hmm. really want to, I did name this, uh, this podcast, the blind spot because I'd been working so intimately with so many of mine and really wanting to invite other people to come bravely into the space and look at their own. So thank you, Annie. This is a real gift to me and I hope the community. Thank you, Kara. If you're enjoying these episodes, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at social at karenancemd.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, including typology, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Please visit my website at karenancemd.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation if you'd like to work with me in any way. We also have the opportunity for free classes.